Hi, this is Larry Wilson, and this is How to Talk to Humans. This is the podcast that shows you how to improve your communication skills. Are you looking to get a better job? Are you looking to find a relationship? Are you trying to do things in your life that have frustrated you and eluded you so far? I can show you so easily how to change that. Now, I can only do it with humans. If you're looking to deal with vampires or zombies, extraterrestrials, this is not the show for you. But if you're really looking to improve your communication skills, I can show you what I've learned from 40 years in show business working with the biggest celebrities and superstars in the world, and their secrets are unbelievable. What I'm going to be teaching you during the course of this podcast every week are tools that you can use to communicate toward success. Hi, this is Larry Wilson. Thanks again for joining me on How to Talk to Humans. Today's episode may be surprising to people. I think it's the most obvious in-your-face idea that people have a tendency to overlook, and that is that they see my expertise in training people, and they wonder, well, how do you get to be an expert in that? I think the easiest way is simply to do something consistently for many years. Uh, The first story that I always think of is Howard Hughes, the reclusive, crazy, billionaire, uh, aeronautics genius, filmmaker, and pop culture icon from many years ago. But I think of him because in the 50s, Hughes held more aviation patents than anyone in the world. He knew more about airplanes and flying than anyone in the world. And somebody at some point asked him, said, how did you develop this incredible expertise? And his answer was so simple, so obvious. But I'll bet no one listening to this is prepared to do what he did. He was constantly traveling. Wherever he was in a city, if he had extra time, if he had meetings and then they had a couple hours free, he would jump in a taxi and ask them to take him to an airfield that offered flying lessons. And so they'd take him there and he'd go into some place that had flying lessons and he'd say, oh, I'd like to learn to fly an airplane. And they'd say, okay, when you want to start? He'd say, right now. And they'd say, okay, uh, what was your level of experience? He said, oh, I've never been in an airplane before. Now, this is a guy who held more patents on aviation than anyone in the world. He says, I've never been in an airplane. They say, okay. And so they would take him through at this excruciatingly entry-level understanding. This is called the propeller. You know, I mean, just it must have been almost unbearable. But Hughes said that because he put his ego aside and played the role of someone with absolutely no knowledge, every single time he did this, the instructors 
would have some piece of information he'd never heard before. Somebody would say, oh, I tap this gauge a couple times when the weather is cold to blah, blah, blah. Or somebody else would say, I never face this way into the wind. because." And if you do that a few times a week, every week for years, you amass an expertise that no one else in the world has. I think it's very important to point out at this juncture that there's a popular notion now that because of smartphones and the internet and on and on and on, that everyone is a genius now. I think this is counterintuitive. I think it means there's more dumb people than there has ever been before. Carrying around a dictionary in your pocket does not make you a wordsmith. Yes, you have access. You can pull the dictionary out and look up any word. But just carrying it around doesn't make you an expert. I know a lot of people who have amassed huge libraries of books that they haven't read. Owning the book does not impart the knowledge therein. You have to do the work. And if you're willing to do the work like a crazy person like Howard Hughes, then you really can amass this information. By the same token, there are some people who have a lot of knowledge about something, but they aren't able to think abstractly. They aren't able to put together ideas. For some reason, the thought that jumps into my mind is the guy who started FedEx. This was originally a, a part of a college course in economics. The uh, professor assigned them to you know, make a business plan for some business. And if I remember this correctly, the professor flunked him on this assignment where he created FedEx because the professor said, this is stupid. You haven't come up with anything original or not. You're just saying, oh, I'm going to have a delivery business that does what the United States Parcel Service does. Well, that's not exactly a fair assessment of what it is. This is a guy who had this idea of using a hub that was central in the United States. But I maybe it's fair to say basically it was a delivery service. But the real difference was it was an incredibly efficient delivery service. If you recall, uh, FedEx's motto was when it absolutely has to be there tomorrow. Well, <laughs> United States Parcel Service, for all their good intentions and things, uh, they never made that kind of guarantee. It would get there when it gets there. Might be tomorrow, might be next week, might be a couple weeks. And people just thought, oh, well, that's what you have to do. So this guy's idea that he was thinking, there's people in business who really need a document or a, some piece of equipment or something really has to be there tomorrow. 
not maybe, not we're hoping, really has to be, and they're willing to pay for it. Well, that's sort of abstract thinking in a strange way. It's very simple. It doesn't mean it has to be complicated. But it's someone thinking about things that already exist in a different way than they have been thought of. And uh, all of this that I'm saying to you about being an expert is that people have expertise they don't often realize they have. Sometimes there's people who have um, what we think of, I think sometimes as homespun skills. Maybe it has to do with cooking or something like that. They may not realize they have tremendous expertise. I've met people who can taste food and tell you what's in it. They can say, oh, that's a cumin, and there's a dash of salt, and there's pepper, but it's not a regular pepper, it's some kind of white pepper, and, and they're right. These same people can reconstruct something they've tasted. They can reproduce it. Well, that's an extraordinary expertise. That's a fantastic thing. But they may overlook it because they think, well, it doesn't have anything to do with technology or spaceships or things, you know. Well, you're right, it doesn't, but it doesn't make it any less valuable, at least in my opinion. And so it brings me to the question of where do the trainers fall down? You have some expertise. Let us say, I just I conjured up this idea of somebody who is cooking and can teach you unbelievable te- cooking techniques. But with the uh, availability of the internet, you can look online, you can see really experts in all fields. Here's someone who knows the most about polishing semi-precious stones. And here's someone who's an expert at cooking. And here's someone who uh, knows how to create the graphics for a computer game. And there's all these different things. Where do they all fall down? Those of you who've been listening consistently to this podcast, I think have already figured out where I'm going. The breakdown happens in their communication. I cannot tell you the number of times I've heard someone who clearly was an expert, but could not convey their expertise, at least not to me. It might have been on a podcast. It might have been online, some sort of training. It might have been in person. I've met people who I liked so much, and I was sitting listening as hard as I could to them. And I knew they had an idea, but I could not for the life of me understand. And sometimes in those situations, I thought it was my fault. I thought, well, you know what it is, Larry, you're not smart enough to understand. But I'm always suspicious of that. Uh, I think the most complex, new, inventive ideas can always be explained by a good communicator. A master communicator can make someone understand the most complicated ideas. 
But they're using, whether they realize it or not, they're using Wilson method techniques. They're determining what their goal is before they attempt the communication. And then they're defining what the means is. These, of course, are the three Ds. Determine, define, deploy. They're defining, am I telling someone in a podcast or am I sending someone a text? Am I giving them directions on how to find my place of business? Or is it an old school, hard copy, handwritten note that all these things require different tools? And the third D is you then deploy the specific tools that you learn in Wilson Method. And, you know, I'm reminded of a strange TV interview I did one time uh, for Harrah's Casino. And I think there was some kind of um, fundraising charity event, uh, a Hold'em poker game or something. And uh, this is how far down they had scraped the bottom of the barrel. I was the only celebrity they could find to... uh, to be on camera. I don't know whether they couldn't find the other celebrities or they were all off drinking or something. I don't know. But they said, oh, Larry, you know, we're going to shoot this thing with you at the poker table and then we'll have the dealer, the poker dealer there, we'll talk about it. And I said, fine, okay. And uh, Hold'em Poker is a, uh, for those of you who may not know, is a variation of, uh, of a different stud poker which is where cards are dealt uh, one at a time, as opposed to draw poker, where every player gets a bunch of cards and then they're allowed to draw a certain number of replacements to try and improve their hand. So uh, I don't know how uh, Hold'em became so popular, but it really took over all of poker. And some people, that's all they think of when they think of poker now, they think of Hold'em. It's a fantastic game. It's very exciting. And part of what's great about it is it's enormously deceptive. It looks so simple that everyone thinks they're an expert at it. The truth is determined by how much less cash you walk away from the table. And when you play with really great players, you should come to realize at some point, oh, these people know more than I do. They have some kind of expertise I don't have. Uh, It's a fantastic and crazy game. But the reason I thought of this was because when they shot me on this uh, video piece that was going out on the news or something, uh, they had the uh, poker dealer, the Hold'em dealer, who was a young woman who was very experienced, had been doing this for years, and was a very good dealer. They asked her to explain Hold'em to people who don't know. And she said, well, uh, every uh, player is dealt two cards in their hand. And then one by one, uh, cards are dealt up on the table that are common to everyone's hand. So uh, first they deal three cards up that are common to everyone's hand. There's a betting round. Then they deal a fourth card up, and there's a betting round and a fifth card up. And she said, it's a five-card game. And I interrupted her, and I said, "Uh, no, I'm sorry, actually, it's not really a five-card game. And she said, yes. She, Ooh, she was not happy with me. And I was trying to be polite, but I said, 
it's not it's not really a five card game. It's a seven card game. She said, I've been dealing Hold'em for 15 years. All right. I said, I know. I think you're a very good dealer. I just don't think you're explaining it well. She said, it's a five card. I said, fine. Okay. And we went on with the piece. Afterwards, she said, why would you say that to me? I said, because it isn't a five card game. You have two cards in your hand and five common cards on the table that everyone can use any one of the common cards they want. So you have seven cards to make your best hand of five. And she looked at me for a moment like I'd slapped her with a dead fish. And then she said, oh, yeah, you're right. She said, that was a really good explanation. I said, thank you. I I kind of do this for a living. I said, it is a good explanation. But it's harder for you because you've done it for 15 years. In your mind, you're thinking about what the outcome is. Best hand of five. But in fact, it's a seven-card game. And that, of course, is what makes it so deceptive. That's what confuses players because it's confusing. You have two cards in your hand that are just for you and five common cards and any combination of those seven cards to make your best hand. On some occasions that I've seen, the very best hand anyone can make is the one on the table. So everyone who's still in the hand at that point splits the pot. But many players may have already contributed to the pot and dropped out because they didn't know what was actually taking place. But uh, this is a perfect example of someone who is clearly an expert. I saw her handle complicated pots where different people's cards comprise different hands. She instantly was able to determine whose hand was best, whose hand was almost best, how the pot should be divided. I mean, she was clearly an expert, but she was not an expert communicator. And that is what I really want to address here today. Experts, I I, I come back to Warren Buffett again and again and again. I come back to this interview with Buffett where he says, it doesn't matter how much brain power you have. If you cannot transmit it, it's like winking at a girl in the dark. Nothing happens. Now, besides the charm of that homespun philosophy, I find it quite on point that the world's most successful investor of all time who obviously is a smart guy, he realizes that just having brain power doesn't mean a thing unless you can communicate that power. And if you look around you, I wonder, sometimes I'll say things in this podcast and I say, oh, feel free to reach out to me. A couple people uh, have already, which is very gratifying. Uh, I said on one of the podcasts, I said, feel free, email me at larry at 
wilsonmethod.com because I read every single one. And someone just recently sent me an email and it just had the log line, you know? It said, do you really read every one? Didn't have a signature, didn't have anything else on it. And I wrote back, I said, yes, I do. Um, and the reason I ask is because I wonder how many people have that same experience I had, where someone who's an expert, who's supposed to be training you, leaves you bewildered, confused. I, in my life, have defaulted to the idea that I must be the one at fault. It must be me. Because this person's clearly an expert, and if I can't understand them, I must not be smart enough. I think that in the majority of cases, that is not really what's happening. I think that they're an expert who is an extremely poor communicator. When a professor, Alan Oppenheim, asked me to come to MIT to train grad students in advanced communication, he was clearly addressing this problem. And he told me in advance, he said, every single one of these people you're going to meet and deal with is a genius. They just are bad communicators. And what I was the most impressed by in that experience, I mean, that really is the genesis of the Wilson Method, was that a three-day event at MIT where a Professor Oppenheim said, oh, this is really what you should be doing with your life, was how open and friendly and welcoming all these MIT grad students were. I thought they were going to sort of be like brainiacs and standoffish and kind of aloof and weird. No, they were so warm and engaging. They were people who were a hundred percent invested in learning. You could see they became geniuses because they wanted to keep improving themselves. They wanted to keep learning the same way Professor Oppenheim's in his 80s, and he's the same way. He's so excited about learning new things, about developing new skills. I think that's what keeps people young. I think that's where experts come from. These grad students were... I, I spoke at one point, I don't know, for three or four hours in training with them. And I thought, well, that's the most anyone can take of me. I was wrong. Afterwards, we sort of formalized, thank you very much, and we're done now for today. They crowded me and would not leave. They had more questions. And they were so excited to have questions and to say, well, what about this? And what do you think? Hey, what if I was able to do this? And what, you know, I can remember, it's so funny, I, I can't remember all of them. I remember there was a woman who was involved in experiments and uh, trying to put together some data with children. And uh, particularly, I want to say maybe there are children in other countries uh, where they didn't speak English or their English was limited, I'm not sure. But what I remember, she said, you know, oh, what would you suggest there? And I said, this is just off the top of my head, I would had no idea. I said, well, I, I, the first thought comes to mind is we want something visual, right? Because if English is not strong, if they speak, 
I said, have you thought about using puppets? And she just exploded. She said, yes, yes, that's what I was thinking about, using puppets. But I was afraid that was too crazy. I said, no, I think it's really smart. Because children love puppets because they're uh, more relatable. They aren't like big uh, grown-up adults who are a little intimidating. And you can make them have whatever funny voice you want and... It makes them feel like a compatriot, a puppet. And the puppet can, you know, the puppet can really evince anything that the children are feeling. It can represent them as a stand-in. And this woman, you would have thought I'd come up with the theory of relativity. She was so excited about it. So for me, that was a fantastic experience. And... I don't doubt that the people in that training I did with them all have taken their communication to huge, great improvements, new levels. But anyone listening to this podcast who has a desire, perhaps you want to share what your expertise is, you have to learn to communicate. And Someone recently uh, said, oh, so you train trainers. And I hadn't thought of it that way. But I think that's fairly accurate. In some cases, I'm just training normal humans. Well, that's great. They may be people who want their family life to be more harmonious and less uh, fractious. They may want to have more peace and uh, calm in their family. Great. Or it may be someone who has a small business and has difficulty explaining what it is their business does. That's great too. But I think they're also, uh, so far I've only specifically trained a few trainers who came to me with the intent that they wanted to be able to carry their message more clearly. And like I say, it's, it's a difficult problem to identify because if you are an expert at spaghetti sauce or tie-dye t-shirts or gymnastic, whatever it is, it's hard sometimes to separate your expertise from your ability to communicate that to others. And I think this is something worth thinking about. I think it's very important to learn, if you're a trainer, that you need training to make you more effective as an expert. This has been Larry Wilson. I want to thank you for spending this time with me, and I hope you found this information useful. If you're looking for more, you can find it at thewilsonmethod.com. There's a ton of stuff there. In fact, if you want, you can even speak to me because I'm human. Send me an email at info at wilsonmethod.com because I read every single one. I hope that you'll join us next week in this continuing journey 
and you'll be with me for the next episode of How to Talk to Humans. <laughs>